book is so awesome. I can do anything. This book is so awesome. I am the potions king. Did you hear that half book prince? I said I was the king. Can you hear me, Professor Snape? I can make anything. This book is so awesome. Hi, my name is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. And this is Potter and Daughter, the Harry Potter podcast, where I talk to my nine, no, ten-year-old daughter as we read through the uh, Harry Potter book series, chapter by chapter. I say, no, ten-year-old daughter, because today is Lily's tenth birthday. Happy birthday, Lily. Thank you. Uh, What a way to spend your birthday after months and months and months of not doing these podcasts. (laughs) We're doing the final normal episode we're finishing out book seven this will be the last official potter and daughter ever no unless we do more you know specials down the road like we talked about doing the cursed child we've talked about doing wizarding world wizarding world why have we not done a podcast for months and months we have been moving for months and months (laughs) uh let's see we moved you started a new school i started a new job and so it's been an insanely busy few months. So we but, had like no time to do anything almost. So on our last normal episode, which I believe was back in September of 2016, it's now March of 2017. We were finishing chapter 31 of what book? The Deathly Hallows. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Chapter 31 was the Battle of Hogwarts. The very last thing that happens in the Deathly Hallows is uh, there's a big battle ensuing. Sorry, in the Deathly Hallows, in the Battle of Hogwarts, Chapter 31. There's a battle ensuing, and Death Eaters are bursting through the castle. A wall is blown apart, and who is killed by this exploding wall? Fred, I think. Yep, it's been a while, but yes, it's Fred. Okay, I, I can't even tell, like... 10 minutes after I read the book because it's like, is it this one? That's not a, That's not true. You've We've done these when it's been weeks and weeks since you read the book and you still know what happens. Well, it's, but it's been a while. So we're going to try and jog each other's memories here. Another thing working against us, Lily, is that the websites that I use as guides for these episodes, the chat, there were various chapter guides. This has happened before where the resource I was using either didn't update the next book or went offline. Since the last episode, both of the websites that I used as guides have gone offline. Ah! One of them is replaced by spam links, and the other one uh, seems to have removed all their articles. I have used the Internet's Wayback Machine to pull up old copies of one of these websites. Hopefully, we'll get through this, but if it's a little bit different in tone... If we follow a slightly different path as opposed to going over each event exactly beat by beat and then discussing it, it's because I have a far less detailed guide and I haven't read these books in years. So I'm working with what I got, you know? But yeah, the only thing I know about like which twin got like blasted and died was the one that had his ear blown off was not dead he lives yeah so we end up with instead of two weasley twins we end up with about 0.95 weasley twins (laughs) at the end of book seven so fred is dead uh percy who 
previously has not been so much uh, an active participant in the fight against evil goes nuts and goes running after, I want to say, Rookwood, who he blames for blowing up the wall. That brings us to chapter 32, The Elder Wand. Uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are certainly dumbstruck by watching Fred get exploded. This particular book, I think, takes more liberties, or this particular movie, I should say, takes more liberties away from the book than any of the other ones, other than cutting scenes. Some of the other movies cut more scenes. This one makes more dramatic changes, uh, because in my mind, of course, the movies are more fresh, and Harry sort of wanders into the Great Hall and sees everyone crying over Fred and doesn't even address them, right? Mm-hmm. In the book here, they see it happen. They watch him die, and they actually drag his body to safety. Yeah, uh, well, like, as safe as a dead body can be, I suppose. Yeah, like in the book, they say like either Ginny or Mrs. Weasley screams, and then Harry, Ron, and Hermione go over to check it out. Yeah, and they, they drag him to safety. The Horcrux count, to Harry's knowledge at this point, is it what? Do you remember? They've destroyed five, and they've still got Nagini left. Yeah, so in their mind, there are seven pieces of Voldemort's soul. One of them, which we discussed an episode or two ago, is the one that resides inside Voldemort. Because, you know, you kind of do have to have a piece of soul inside you, otherwise you're not alive. In In my mind, there's seven Horcruxes, but there's seven pieces of the soul and... Six Horcruxes, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think we'll, that's... we'll discuss this later. No. Um, well, I mean, at this point, they think there was Riddle's Diary, Hufflepuff's Cup. The ring. The ring. The locket. The locket, the diadem, and Nagini. So, yeah, they think there's six plus Voldemort at this point. So their mission is what now? Is to destroy Nagini. What would happen... Were they to destroy Nagini then? Then either Voldemort would die completely or they still have to destroy Voldemort. No, they still have to kill Voldemort. Okay, so they got Voldemort and Nagini left. So here's what's interesting about this mission to me. Um, It is kill the bad guy seven times, basically. (laughs) Because not only do they have to destroy all these Horcruxes, which have proven intensely difficult in most situations but then they've still got the dude they've still got this entire you know evil dark lord who has to be thwarted and it's it's not it's not supposed to be any easier to kill the most powerful evil wizard other than the fact that he is maybe slightly weakened by having you know or he would be by having six sevenths of his soul destroyed. Exactly. But he's still good. He should still be a formidable foe. And it's not like, Oh, finally, all we have to do now is kill the bad guy. It seems like they're so used to destroying Horcruxes at this point. I'm not even sure if they have a plan for how they would also defeat Voldemort in the process. That's something that isn't really addressed, but I've always thought about. So anywho, The plan is, get the snake. Harry, remembering that he has this connection with Voldemort, 
needs to locate him. So what does he do? He tries he tries to let Voldemort into his mind. Yeah, he he or or let himself into Voldemort's without being yeah. revealed. He does learn Voldemort's location. Do you remember where that is? In the Shrieking Shack? Yeah, he's in the Shrieking Shack. Harry puts on the invisibility cloak. He is under the impression now that I'm going to be killed. Um, I believe we've already heard Voldemort's ultimatum at this point where his, his voice appears in everyone's mind. Is that correct? Yes. So he's like, you know, send me Harry Potter. No other wizards have to die. That kind of thing. And so Harry knows that this may be the last march of Harry Potter. He's just like every blood of like every drop of magical blood spilt is a is like a waste right and does he believe that does Voldemort believe that for real not even of course, close. not even close no this is propaganda at its best this is telling the public lies as if they were truths and then n- not even hiding the fact that it goes against what you believe uh, so we, everyone knows that Voldemort only cares about pure-blooded wizards Honestly, Voldemort only cares about himself. So, truth be told, he would let all pure-blooded wizards die, too. He's not pure-blood himself. He knows that. So, it's lie on top of lie on top of lie that creates Voldemort's reality, or lack thereof. Harry knows that he's probably going to his death. He throws on the invisibility cloak and starts kind of weaving his way through his friends. Do you remember kind of what he does at this point? I think he kind of just like tries to find everybody and checks everybody out. Yeah. He wants to make sure. I mean, I I, I don't think at this point he is under the impression that he's going to help. He's got a mission. He's not going to, you know, go away from that, but he does want to make sure that, I guess he's seen everybody one last time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he goes past Jenny and gives her sort of, oh, wait, you know what? I think I'm thinking of when he goes to the woods. Oh, yeah, you are. Like- I'm ahead. I'm ahead. Yep. Okay. Rewind, rewind. I'm I'm thinking of the wrong part of the book. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway, cloak's on. Going to the Shrek. The Shack. <laughs> Shrek. They could have called it the Shrek, the Shrieking Shack. Shrieking Shrek, Shrieking Shrek. He happens upon... That's right, because he's not alone here. He... Is he alone? No, they go to the Whomping Willow together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Harry, Hermione, and Ron, I believe, go to the Whomping Willow. Uh, Obviously, the entrance to the shack. And this is also where, you know, you got to sort of fight the willow to get in. Yeah. So there's a bit of a (laughs) difficulty there. But Harry gets in. They happen upon Snape talking to Voldemort. Do you remember the gist of their conversation? What is Voldemort upset about at this point? Voldemort is questioning, like, questioning, quote-unquote, why is his, why is the Elder Wand not working for him? And he says not working for me, not to mean that it won't do magic, but that it's not 
imbuing him with the powers he expected. Like, it's not necessarily better than his old wand. Right. Th- this wand should let me destroy all of my enemies with a flick of a wrist. It should let me level this castle to the ground. And right now, it's just kind of not obeying me to its fullest extent. What's his theory about this? That the wand belongs to Snape because... Snape is the one that killed Dumbledore. And the wand, over the course of thousands of years, has been won through murder. Every owner of the wand has been killed by someone else who sought the wand. No one's picked it up off the ground and just found it. They have sought it out and killed the previous owner. Like, they haven't just done, like, finders keepers. The last owner of the wand was Gellert Grindelwald. And who killed him? Voldemort. No. I think. Oh, sorry, no. Who disarmed him, I should say. Voldemort did kill him. But who defeated him? Who disarmed him? Dumbledore. I don't remember this at all. You remember the great battle of... It's on his wizarding card. It's on his chocolate frog card that Dumbledore defeated Grindelwald in the greatest wizard duel of all time. Yeah. That's where he took final possession of the Elder Wand. So... Unless I'm completely wrong. I'm almost positive that's what happened. <laughs> so, so Snape having not just killed, but disarmed and killed. Well, I'm sorry. That is incorrect. Snape having just killed Dumbledore. Voldemort believes Snape is the master of the Elder Wand. Snape understands what Voldemort is getting at. What does Snape try and do? to keep what's about to happen from happening. He's trying to convince Voldemort that the wand does in fact belong to him. Yes, of course it serves you, Master. Of course it's... You're, you'll, be, you'll be doing great things with the wand, Master. No, I, I don't think so, Snape. I don't, I don't think so. I think it... Uh, I think maybe it serves a different Master. And with very little thought for his... Other than Wormtail, most faithful servant, how does he dispatch with Snape? He says, "He says you've been a great something. <laughs> you've been a great servant." And he's like, "Nagini, kill." Yeah, Nagini tears his throat out. Uh, he assumes having murdered who he believes to be the Elder Wand's master, he is now the full master of the Elder Wand, able to do whatever comes with that, right? Okay, technically, he didn't kill Snape. Nagini killed Snape. Um, <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good point. I feel like in this case, in, as far as wands are concerned, uh... It's, Nagini is used more than a more as a weapon, right? R- rather than a person who would now be a wand's master. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm not entirely sure on that. <laughs> the other, the other, well, the other thing to bring up there is that Snake is Snake Nagini is nothing if not a chunk of Voldemort. So if your Horcrux kills someone 
I would assume, at least from a Juan's perspective, you killed someone, I right? I guess that's true. So he assumes he is now the Juan's master. Yes. Harry views all of this, yet as Voldemort does too often, as he did with Creature, when he left him to die in the cave when they hid the uh, locket Horcrux, he leaves before seeing that his prey has died. He's like, well, Snape will be dead. He'll be soon quickly. He'll he'll be dead like yeah. quickly in like five minutes. And I got stuff to do. So I'm out, you know, I'm I, heading out. Like I, I gotta, I gotta go somewhere so I can make my huge PA announcement. <laughs> Magical PA. Right, exactly. Oh yeah, so that is when that happens. So he leaves Snape to die and you know just as he left creature by leaving creature to die obviously creature escapes everyone underestimates house elves he escapes for the inferi and he tells uh rab whose name is skipping my mind he's Sirius's brother no his actual name regulus he tells regulus about the locket regulus steals it blah 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 you know that's all history so he leaves snape not dead. Harry rushes in because Harry was, I guess, under the invisibility cloak. No, uh, I think he was like in a different room, but he could still hear. No, I'm thinking of the movie, aren't I? In the movie, he's just outside the window. And doesn't even have the invisibility cloak. <laughs> I would say because of effects budget and also keeping your star on screen most of the time that Harry is using the invisibility cloak in the books, he doesn't use it in the movies. So a lot of these events are quite changed. Harry comes in to, I don't know, not save Snape. He he doesn't know how to react, I guess. He, he does mention, at least to himself, that he, he doesn't know what he feels at this moment. And... He's not really just there to watch him die. He hates him. He's not particularly there to save him, but there's a human instinct that kicks in, I think, where it's like, what do I do? How do I fix this situation? Because you think he's, you know, he's like absolutely sure that Snape is evil. Right. At this point, there's nothing that's happened to make him think that Snape, Snape is not a pure servant of the Dark Lord. So Harry confronts the barely able to speak, totally unable to move Snape. Snape makes a request of him. What is it? He starts crying and he says, take them. Harry seems to understand that this means save my tears. That seems like a big leap in logic for me. (laughs) But, you know, uh, that is what he does. So Harry... Uh, I guess Snape has a vial. I don't remember Harry having a vial with him. Hermione has one. Oh, that's right. And uh, they save Snape. Hermione's always got vials. She has everything. They save Snape's tears. Harry understands this means view my memories. You have to know the truth. There is some truth that you don't know. At this point, he says... There's there's an exchange in the book where after he gives him his memories, he says, look at me. 
look like look me in the eyes and the last thing snape sees before he dies is harry's green eyes we know why that happens right what is now you know this is skipping ahead but what is snape trying to have as his dying vision lily He's trying to see lily potter's eyes that's a little creepy i mean as we will soon learn in really the next chapter he it's the you know it's the ways that harry reminds snape of lily that are kind of weird that well it's it's what reminds him of his allegiance to lily that we also are just about to learn about but at the same time he's trying to imagine as he dies this isn't harry potter this is the girl i'm in love with let me just look at her eyes one last time <laughs> that's kind of weird and creepy but hey he's a most he's a half evil guy that's you know dying um and he dies so chapter 33 the prince's tale who's the prince in this title the half blood prince pr- the prince prince <laughs> which is snape so before harry can even figure out what Snape has given him. He doesn't yet know their memories. He hears Voldemort's magnified PA system voice. This is what I was thinking had already happened. And what you said, if, you know, every drop of magical blood that is spilled is blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Collect your dead, tend to your wounded. Harry Potter, all their deaths are on you. You know, he's, he's trying to blame it all on Harry and say... He's trying to turn Harry Potter's friends against him. If only Harry Potter would give himself up, I'd stop killing you all. <laughs> but that's, they don't believe that. I don't think anyone believes that at this point. It's like, its like instead of facing me yourself, you have chose to be a coward and let everyone die for you. This is all entirely your fault. Basically, yes. So... He says his forces will retreat. And that Harry has one hour to surrender. If not, Voldemort's going to enter the battle himself and kill everyone at Hogwarts, which he believes he'll be able to do easily with the Elder Wand. Yeah, he's like, every last man, woman, and child who does not step forward and become my servant basically will die. Yeah. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione make their way back up to the castle to try and figure out what to do. The bodies have all been lined up in the Great Hall. This is a truly horrific sight for Harry. It it enumerates exactly what the human cost of his fight, what feels like a personal fight between him and Voldemort is. He can see now that perhaps dozens of his friends, family, and acquaintance are dead on the floor in front of him. Who does he in particular see that he did not know had died in this battle other than Fred? It's one of his former teachers. Lupin. Yeah, Lupin and Tonks have both passed. Uh, Made more tragic by the fact that they've just had a child. Harry is distraught, certainly seeing all of these people that have died. He runs to Dumbledore's office as if to escape the weight of this and the responsibility of all of these deaths. 
and he realizes I've got this vial of tears from Snape. It must be a memory. So what does he do? He goes to Dumbledore's office and finds the pensieve. And one question, where is their child while all this is happening? I would assume I would assume that it's staying with uh they go to live with um Tonks's parents, right? And so Okay. I would assume that's where the kid is now. That makes sense. So Harry goes to the Pensieve, pours the memory in, and is very sort of blown away by what he sees. Uh, The first scene is Lily Evans and her sister Petunia on a swing set. Do you remember what happens? Lily decides to try and fly, like, not jump off the swing, but fly off the swing. And she's rather successful. And Petunia says, don't do that. I'm telling Mummy, you're a freak. You're a freak. I'm telling Mummy. Yeah, she basically glides up into the air and floats down very gracefully. Who is watching them while they're doing this, in addition to Harry watching the memory? Severus Snape. A young Severus Snape. A young, awkward, weird Severus Snape. Yeah, he looks about nine or ten. Each time... Harry sees the memory advance forward, at least now. Petunia's there deriding Lily and Snape for being witches and wizards. Um, Also yelling at Snape for spying on them. And Snape does something very important for Lily, though, because Lily is muggle-born. So Snape confirms this is real. Lily, uh, it says Lily leaned in towards the boy and said... It is real, isn't it? It's real for us, said Snape, not for her. But we'll get the letter, you and me. Meaning what? Meaning they will both get to go to Hogwarts. There's another exchange between them that's very sort of sweet and also betrays the Snape that we know. She says, does it make a difference being muggle-born? Snape hesitated, his black eyes eager in the greenish gloom moved over to the pale face, the dark red hair. No, he said, it doesn't make any difference. Does that sound like the Snape that we know? No, like, just no. This is obviously an earlier version of him that's been through less, who's who's had fewer experiences and, and hasn't been shaped by experiences to come. Isn't there also a scene... Where they're like both sitting down together near a lake, and Snape says, "Like it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all, Petunia. She's not special, but you are." That does happen in the movie. I don't remember if that happens in the book or not. I'm pretty sure it does, but it flashes forward to Snape and a sort of grim, tall, thin woman who looks a lot like Snape standing on platform nine and three quarters. Uh, This is obviously Snape's first journey to Hogwarts. He meets up with Lily in the train car, and they're both very excited to finally be going to Hogwarts to escape their mundane lives. Who joins them in the train car? Do you remember? No. James, and who Harry eventually realizes is Sirius. 
Uh, they immediately start making fun of Slytherins. Snape expects he'll be a Slytherin. Who wants to be a Slytherin? I think I'd leave, wouldn't you? James asked the boy lounging on the seat opposite him. And with a jolt, Harry realized that it was serious. So within their first moments of true wizarding life, James is driving a wedge between Lily and Severus. But yeah, he's just like, uh, it's like, it's like if I was sorted into Slytherin, I'd, I'd just leave. Right, exactly. I think Ron does the same thing in book two. There's a lot of parallels. There's a lot of parallels for sure. Or something. Uh, or Lily what? is obviously sorted into Gryffindor, and all the Gryffindors cheer. Snape is sorted into Slytherin House, and he goes and sits next to a prefect. Do you remember who the prefect was? Tom Riddle. No, it was Lucius Malfoy. Oh. Riddle was way before Snape's time. Oh, right, because he's like 90 years old. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, Lucius Malfoy, who seems, obviously in the movies, seems maybe even younger than Snape, is meant to be a bit older. The next few memories are about Snape trying to convince Lily that James is not so great. That that these, sort of the same thing he does about with Harry, and ob- for obvious reasons now. Uh, not you're you're not as great as everybody thinks you are. Is his attitude towards both Harry and his father, father, uh, and he's trying to convince Lily, who obviously is fond of him, but would you say is in love with Sirius, uh, with Severus at this no. point? No, she, she, I'm sure loves him as a friend, but not in the same way that he loves her. He can see that she is warming up to James, and would like to put a stop to that. There's another wedge being driven between Snape and Lily, and that's Snape's new friends, uh, Mulciber and Avery, who are aspiring Death Eaters. Aspiring? Uh, wanting to be. Oh. Or up-and-coming, young, trainee Death Eaters, I guess. Like, to be. Like, a Death Eater to be. And a thing something. that Snape does not seem to understand is that taking this dark path and becoming a powerful dark wizard serving Voldemort who at this time is just sort of a charismatic but obviously evil upstart and not yet the leader of all evil he thinks it'll impress Lily he thinks she'll be in awe of all this power and this coolness that I'll have he doesn't understand the difference I don't think between um I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he understands what she would really appreciate, right? As opposed to just power and strength and the things that Slytherins might appreciate more. You know, he, he doesn't understand why she's not on the same level. Then we see a memory that Harry is familiar with because he saw it during his uh, occlumency lessons. Do you remember the prank that we see James pull on Severus when they're younger? No. When they turn him upside down and call him Snively oh, right. Snape, threaten to pull his pants off or something like that. Like who wants to see like who wants to see Snivelis's pants off or something? Yeah, Lily runs up to defend him. She's basically saying, Leave my friend alone. But Snape lashes out at her too. Do you remember what he says to her? No. He calls her a mudblood. 
which is odd because he's not a pureblood either. I was going to say why exactly. Oh, wait. You know, you know what? Snape is a pureblood. That's right. Half, I always forget that half-blood prince means he's just half a prince. He's not a half-blood, right? He's, he doesn't have a muggle father or mother. Yeah, he does. Who? I don't think so. I think he does. I don't think so. I think Snape... Look, I'm going to look it up right now. Okay. Is Severus Snape pure blood? Uh, he was born to Eileen Prince, a witch, and Tobias Snape, a muggle. Oh, he is. Okay. All right. So his... So his mud blood, you know, insult makes no sense at all. Obviously... Anger misdirected and whatever. Though it does greatly offend Lily. In a in another segment, he sees them say, I never meant to call you a mudblood. It just, what, slipped out? There is no pity in Lily's voice. It's too late. I've made excuses for you for years. You call every one of my birth mudblood, Severus. Why should I be any different? I guess there is a distinction in Snape's mind between Muggleborns and Half-Bloods. Half-Bloods are okay, Muggleborns are not, I assume. The movies make no distinction. I don't remember if the books get more specific, right? She says, I can't pretend anymore. You've chosen your way, and I've chosen mine. What do you think she means by that? That we're kind of going our separate ways right now, I guess. Exactly. She's almost saying, you've chosen evil. And I have not, like, you know, I haven't necessarily chosen good, but I haven't chosen like, no, she's chosen good. I was going to say like downright darkness. That's the, that's the default of most people is to choose good. He is specifically choosing powerful evil. The next memory is a blinding white flash. Harry thinks he's seeing a lightning bolt, but it's actually Snape being disarmed as an adult by who? Who confronts Snape when he's begging for his life? Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Dumbledore, as if hunting Death Eaters. He says, uh, Then a blinding, jagged jet of white light flew through the air. Harry thought of lightning, but Snape had dropped to his knees and his wand had flown out of his hand. Don't kill me, he says. You disgust me, said Dumbledore. Or rather, you disgust me, said Mm. Dumbledore. And Harry had never heard so much contempt in his voice. Snape seemed to shrink a little. You do not care then about the deaths of her husband and child? They can die as long as you have what you want? What is he saying here to Snape? He's saying, well, Snape is saying to Dumbledore, please save Lily for me. And Dumbledore is saying, well, why not the other two? Right, exactly. He He's showing how short-sighted he is um he it's as if he thinks if you saved lily from voldemort who we now know has heard the prophecy and plans to kill james and lily's child harry they're being hidden they're actively being sought out by voldemort snape currently works for voldemort so this meeting i assume was established by state snape to beg Dumbledore, who he knows is the most powerful wizard, to save Lily. He says, And what will you give me in return, Severus? In return? Snape gaped at Dumbledore. 
and Harry expected him to protest, but after a long moment, he said, Anything. Anything. He, his heart is still not quite in the right place. It's as if he said, save Lily and she'll be mine, even if her husband and child were killed. Which, it just shows that he's... He's living in a fantasy world right now. That, and he's got good intentions for the wrong reasons, maybe? <laughs> um, at this point, we flash forward to post the death of Harry's parents. Snape says, I thought you were going to keep us safe. Dumbledore replies, if you loved Lily Evans, if you truly loved her, then your way forward is clear. You know how and why she died? Make sure it was not in vain. Helped me protect Lily's son. What sort of agreement does this establish between Dumbledore and Snape for the next 16 years? Protect this child of the woman you love that died, I guess. At all costs, almost as if to fulfill your oath to Lily. It's like babysit this child for life. (laughs) Not only this child, but this child that you actively despise. He doesn't hate Harry because of who he is or what he does. He hates him because of who his father is. That's all that matters to Snape. He'll never see the real Harry. He'll only see the child of the man I hate and the woman that I loved. To him, that is, it's unforgivable. Harry's crime, in this case, is being born. There's nothing he could do to ever get a fair shake from Snape. It's like, his. it's not his fault that he was born. It's not his fault that his parents fell in love. He, Dumbledore tells him, you see what you expect to see, Severus. Other teachers report that the boy is modest, likable, and reasonably talented. Personally, I find him an engaging child. This is in response to Snevers saying, Mediocre, arrogant, rule-breaker, attention-seeking, and impertinent. Dumbledore says, no one else sees that, just you. You're projecting onto this kid what you expect. In the movie, at least, there's also another scene, like, while he's talking to Dumbledore of, like, right after the attack at uh, Lily's and James's and Harry's po- Harry's house, uh, and he finds Lily, like, lying on the ground in the nursery, and he starts, like, crying. Yeah, I don't her. think that happened in the book. I'm not... I don't think so. That would imply that he was the first one on the scene. I'm not so certain about that. Um, this is where we get to the meat of their conversation. The the revelation that Harry will now understand sort of the purpose of his life. When Snape says, so the boy, the boy must die? Asked Snape calmly. Dumbledore replies, Have you grown to care for the boy after all? For him, shouted Snape, Expecto Patronum! And what do we see? A doe for his Patronus. He's like, Expecto Patronum. Dumbledore says, After all this time? What does Snape reply? Always. <laughs> Always. So he's, he's saying, I've been carrying a torch for Lily Evans forever. 
<laughs> I will honor our agreement to protect her child, even though I hate him, because it would dishonor her memory. But the other thing we learn about Harry is the truth of what happened the night that his parents were killed. What do we learn about Harry's true connection to Voldemort? Harry is a Horcrux. In the curse rebounding off of Harry, the protection that his mother provided and destroying Voldemort, a piece of Voldemort's soul leapt out of his body and clung to the only living thing in the room, which was Harry. His scar, the headaches he feels when he's around Voldemort or other Horcruxes. It's because he is part of Voldemort. Yeah. Uh, their connection, their mental connection. Dumbledore has long suspected this and known what, had, what would eventually have to be done. What, uh, what do you think, or what is, what will have to be done? Somebody will, or not somebody, Voldemort will have to kill Harry. One of them has to kill the other one, but they expect it will be Voldemort killing Harry, thus destroying his own Horcrux. Now at this point in this conversation, Dumbledore does not know that there are seven or six Horcruxes plus Harry plus Dumbledore plus Voldemort. He may even think that just by killing Harry, he'll kill himself. Severus says, you're raising the boy like a lamb to the slaughter. Or a pig, I think. Or a pig, whatever. So he's kind of like, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean. Like, kind of. Sort of, yeah. There's another memory after this that's more uh, recent where Snape says, and you're still aren't going to tell me why it's so important to give Potter the sword, said Snape as he swung a traveling cloak over his robes. No, I don't think so, said hmm. Dumbledore's portrait. He will know what to do with it. And Severus, be very careful. They may not take kindly to your appearance. Snape turned at the door. Don't worry, Dumbledore, he said coolly. I have a plan. We know that his plan was to appear as a doe Patronus and lead Harry to the sword. This is the part, this is one of the big things from the book that is completely removed from the movie, and that's that they do use Dumbledore's portrait as a resource in the final days. They, the portrait of Dumbledore is helping to plan... Harry's rescue or rise or, you know, fight against Voldemort. But yeah, the doe's just like, hey, you, come with me. And he assumes it's like a ghost of his mother. It, and it also just so happens that he decided to follow it. Like, like he might have said, yeah, I ain't doing that. Well, I don't think he would do that. I think that Harry is... He's not curious, like we've mentioned before, but he's adventurous. And he, so he sees, and, and he is willing to, this is a direct parallel to when he saw his own Patronus and convinced himself that it was his dad. 
he's so desiring some connection to his parents that he's immediately acting the same way as he did yeah. with the previous Patronus in the forest and the Dementors. Yeah, he is Harry Potter. That's got to be my mom, he says. I'm chasing that deer. This is the point where Harry has to look back and think Snape has truly been on not necessarily my side, but our side the whole time. The question of his loyalty is now unquestionable, right? But who was he only truly loyal to the entire time? Who, Snape? Snape. Lily. Lily, essentially. That's that's it. And by extension, Harry and Dumbledore. He he was loyal to Dumbledore in that he did every crazy thing Dumbledore told him to, but only in service to Lily's memory. He wouldn't have done those things for Dumbledore for no reason. So he's he's showing these He's not a one-note character, but he is a one-motivation character. He only wants one thing. Chapter 34, The Forest Again. Harry has this sort of renewed sense of purpose that he knows exactly, maybe for the first time in his life, he knows exactly what has to happen, which is... He has to face Voldemort. He has to die. He also has this renewed sense of dread in terms of actually confronting his own death. He sits there in the office for a while, wondering if it's going to hurt, what he's going to have to go through before this is all over. He can't bear to say goodbye to his friends. So this is where what I was thinking of earlier, where he puts on the invisibility cloak and kind of slinks through the castle he does run into Neville, though, and gives Neville a mini-mission. Do you remember what that is? Destroy Nagini. Right. He says, at all costs, if I don't come back, you have to destroy the snake. This is certainly in contrast to the movie where Neville gives a courageous speech and then just decides to kill Nagini. Uh, in the book, it's a direct order from Harry. I don't even know if he tells him why, but the snake has to die. As Harry walks across the grounds towards the forest, he is thinking of all of his different memories of things that have happened at Hogwarts. Everything feels very precious to him. And he starts to regret that his life will be so short that he won't get to do or see these things again. He does remember, however the message inscribed on his, the first snitch that he caught, which was what? I open it to close. What is Harry's new interpretation of that phrase? It'll open up when he's saying, yes, I'm ready to die. Yeah, so that's pretty grim. It's also grim that Dumbledore knew that ahead of time and inscribed that on the snitch and possibly enchanted it so that it would open. He takes it out and tries it, First by doing what? How does he activate it? By saying, I'm ready to die. Well, he kisses it first to activate sort of the flesh memory of it and then tells it, 
I'm ready to die, or I think he says I'm, I'm about to die. What appears as it opens? It has like like four different like seals it opens before it can before you can get to it. But it's the stone of I don't remember what it's called. The resurrection stone. The resurrection stone. Yeah, so all this time, uh which we now realize it was the the ring. Like um, it was the stone inside the ring. Yeah, it was the stone in is it Marvolo Gaunt's ring? I can't remember. Um, I that, thought I thought it was bigger than that, like by a lot. Yeah, it's pretty tiny. Um, if it's small enough to be, even regardless of the movie, if it's small enough to be worn in a ring, it's got to be pretty tiny. Yeah. So he's got the resurrection stone. He turns it three times, as the story says, and who appears to him? Lupin, Snape. Not Snape. Not Snape. Ser- Sirius. And Lillian James. Yeah, I think it's just the four of them. It is. I don't remember specifically what they say to him, but I do really like what they say in the movie, which is something to the effect of, like, will you stay with me? And they say, we never left you. As in, since we died. We've just been following you around. (laughs) Well, just, you know, not... Not creeping on him, but protecting him or at least watching over him, perhaps in a way to make him feel comfort. Lupin has has to have not been doing that for like a really long Lupin's time. Lupin's only been dead for a few hours. Exactly. At least that's true for like Lily and James and Sirius. I do also remember before we get to this point that after seeing Neville, and he's still under the cloak, he does walk past Ginny one time just to kind of see her one last time before he knows he's going to die. Which is pretty sad. He's like, I love you. When he sees his parents and their ghosts, says Lily's smile was widest of all, and her green eyes, so like his, searched his face hungrily as though she would never be able to look at him enough. It's... As if the resurrection stone has sort of activated their ability to truly see Harry. Maybe they haven't really been in their minds just following him around. Maybe it's the a two way connection through the resurrection stone where now they can finally see him. Something along those lines. This is kind of like a long way to go, but it it kind of reminds me of Minecraft on the computer when you can. Oh, like- I can't wait to hear this comparison. <laughs> it's on like Minecraft on your computer when you could enter a code that says you can turn invisible and then you can also go through stuff. So, okay. So you can like, it, it's kind of like being a ghost in Minecraft almost. I will agree with your statement that this is a long way to go to make that connection. <laughs> Lupin says, I'm sorry too. I'm sorry I'll never know him. Referring to who? His son. His son, Teddy. But he will know why I died, and I hope he will understand I was trying to make a world in which he could live a happier life. So there's not a lot of regret in that. More hope, I think, that Lupin died for a reason. You also got to figure a guy like Lupin has had a really, really tough life that only recently got happy. So... He's probably more okay 
with how things turned out for him than a lot of people would be. They then say, Harry clutched the cloak tightly around him in darkness, traveling deeper and deeper into the forest with no idea exactly where Voldemort was, but sure that he would find him. Beside him, making scarcely a sound, walked James, Sirius, Lupin, and Lily, and their presence was his courage and the reason he was able to keep putting one foot in front of another. What do you think that means? It means he feels more, I guess, like strong about this because he knows he's with people who love him. Not only that, but that he probably would give up. He's... If they weren't with him. Yeah, he's not... He's not... uh, His courage is not his own at this point. So he's emboldened by being able to see these people that love him and see his parents, see his family. And it, it is literally the only thing that is keeping him from maybe not giving up, but certainly not moving forward. When he gets there, doesn't he like throw the resurrection stone like somewhere off in the forest? Before he confronts Voldemort, he drops it. I think it says he steps on it or something. It's probably still out there, you know? Um, He does say, though, like, even though I can't see you, will you stay with me? And they say, to the end. So they know what his mission is. I almost feel like they're telling him, we'll be reunited soon, you know? Like, you'll, you'll get to be with us soon. Which doesn't seem so bad. Uh, I also don't remember if it's in the book, but in the movie, he asks... Serious if it hurts, if dying hurts. Do you remember what he says? It's like falling asleep. Yeah, something like that. Quicker than falling asleep. So they're trying to assure him, like, we all know you have to die. It's very morbid. It's very, I don't know, fi- final, uh, these conversations he's having with his, his parents and his family. Um, when he finds Voldemort... He barely has any conversation whatsoever and sees a green flash of light, which is what? The cruci- uh, not cruciatus, about the uh, the killing curse. Yeah, exactly. Remember. And in the movies, at least, Voldemort almost hesitates as in, like, savoring the moment. He's like, oh, Father, could you <laughs> He says... It's similar in the books. Uh, Voldemort had raised his wand. His head was still tilted to one side like a curious child, wondering what would happen if he proceeded. Harry looked back into the red eyes. He saw the mouth move in a flash of green light, and everything was gone. Again, in stark contrast to the movies, where Voldemort has a big old speech for Harry. The boy who lived, come to die. Um, it it seems like it's much more instantaneous, almost as if Voldemort may have learned his lesson about too much speechifying and too much waiting and too much leaving things up to chance. He he might, maybe should just take care of business. So with the first chance he gets, he kills Harry without a second thought. That brings us to chapter 35, King's Cross. Harry opens his eyes, and he's alone. It's misty and bright. 
the more he looks around, the room around him starts to take shape. What does it look like? Where does he think that he is? King's King's Cross, but without all the people and trains and noise and living things. Yeah, sort of an ethereal, heavenly King's Cross. He sees an ugly, small, crying child. Or something, thing, thing. Doesn't know what it is. It's hideous to behold. It's as small as a child, at least. But then who appears to take his mind off of it? Dumbledore. What does Dumbledore tell Harry? Is he is Harry actually dead? Not really. He has the choice to be to be alive again or he can like be with his parents and family. By choosing to let Voldemort kill him, the piece of Voldemort that was inside Harry is now gone. This makes me wonder if Oh, actually, you know what? I know the answer to this. Never mind. I'll bring that up in a second. Uh, Harry doesn't quite understand why he's not dead. Dumbledore made a crucial, crucial error during his resurrection. Do you remember what it was? Like killing, you mean? Like killing, you mean? No, when when Dumbledore had Wormtail make his new body to fully bring him back to full strength. Oh, I thought you were talking about Dumbledore made a mistake. When Voldemort used Harry's blood, what happened? I have no idea. Dumbledore tells him a bit of the protection that Lily had placed on Harry was now inside Voldemort, which keeps her sacrifice alive. And that's the only reason that Harry isn't completely dead. That's left out of the movie entirely. It also shows a sort of a bookend, a duality to killing Harry the first time he was protected by Lily, the curse rebounded and destroyed Voldemort's body, putting a piece of Voldemort into Harry. Killing Harry the second time, a piece of Harry is inside Voldemort, and it doesn't work. I feel like that's very evenly balanced. It's also something that I feel like is completely forgotten about in the grand scheme of the story as far as why it didn't work, why Harry's not dead, why he survived. But one of my questions is, if Harry has... I mean, I know we kind of just explained this, but if Harry has the choice to live again, why doesn't everybody? Because of that. Voldemort's curse should have killed Harry for good. But instead, a remnant of Lily Evans' protection of Harry lived inside of Voldemort through Harry's blood. So he was not fully able to kill Harry. He was only able to send him about two-thirds of the way there. This is all very complicated, so it only partially makes sense. It's not so much that it doesn't make sense. It's that it's convenient. It doesn't make sense to me, at least. Well, what I'm saying is there's a literary device called a deus ex machina, which means God from the machine. And what it literally means is that in 
old plays when they couldn't come up with an ending they would lower an actor playing God from the ceiling or he would arise from a trap door in the stage and say, I make everything right again. And he would (laughs) give the actor, give the story what it needed to finish. And so what we, we use that to me now is a literary device where, uh, something impossible, truly improbable and likely impossible happens to wrap the story up nicely. Harry Potter's got a few deus ex machinas. Um, in the earlier books, literally too many, and they're they're too evident. They're hidden better towards the end. Uh, what we will see soon, the allegiance of the Elder Wand is a deus ex machina. The curse where someone has to go, ah, but you see, Harry, only because this one thing happened that no one else knew about until just now... <laughs> That's why you're alive. It doesn't make the story any less powerful or any less well-written. It, it's a valid literary device when not overused. Um, it is overused in places in these stories, but it's kind of hard not to when you're writing magical stories where people can do essentially anything. It, um, it's hard to escape these sort of cheats. And it also is entirely possible that, you know, J.K. Rowling had this plan from the start. If Harry, wa- if Harry wasn't alive and, like, they just had, like, a regular... Like, Harry- if Harry and Voldemort, like, neither of them were alive in the first place and, like, the entire Wizarding World had a regular life, it would be, like, so lazy for them. It would be, like... Akio lights, Akio cup of cuppy, or cup of cuffy, <laughs> cup of coffee, perhaps. Yes. Well, it is like that for most people. There, I think one of the reasons we don't just follow the everyday lives of the Weasleys or the everyday lives of the Malfoys is because they, to us, may appear. Mm, it's not okay. Here, here's the difference. Their everyday activities would be very, very boring and and simple. But that's why they are presented with unusual circumstances. So even if Harry and Voldemort never existed, there would still be fantastical, magical things happening in their world, in in the wizarding world. Think about this. It would be boring to watch a wizard get a cup of coffee It'd be boring to watch me get a cup of coffee. <laughs> It'd so, be even more boring to watch a wizard get one. What I'm saying is neither of those things make for a good story. Um, following the mundanities, the, the boring parts of people's lives is by definition not interesting. So wizards do have an easier time than us uh, in terms of getting their chores done and getting where they need to go. But their actual lives, their personal conflicts, and their daily struggles are essentially the same. Plus, as we've pointed out time and time again, bits of their lives are much harder because they refuse things like phones and the internet and computers, machines. So, you know. Well, didn't we, didn't we live without like phones and machines and computers and stuff until like only a couple decades ago? 
what I'm saying is by comparison, when the industrial revolution hit in the early 1900s, our lives started getting, well, some people's lives started getting easier and wizard technology seemed to have stopped a little bit before that their lives are the same. So, you know, for, for the purposes of this story, the comparison is parts of their lives are difficult and boring. Parts of their lives are far simpler. I would say the two biggest things that they have it far better than we do are transportation and medicine. Right. But they also get magical diseases that we don't get where, you know, like a second head grows out of your foot or something. So, <laughs> so there, you know, there, there's good and bad about both of those things. But anyway, Dumbledore explains, like you said, you could choose to go back or you could choose to go on. You know, this is a train station. I would assume that you could board a train, head on to the next place. But because of this protection provided by your mother in your blood and in now Voldemort's blood, you're free to go back if you like. I do like what what Dumbledore says in the movie. He's, he says to Harry, where do you think we are? Harry says, King's Cross. Dumbledore says, well, this is, as we say, your party. Right, as so, in you're making up the rules. So and, it's, it looks this way because this is what's familiar to you. So then Harry says, where would it take me? Like the train. Dumbledore says, on. Yeah, you know, perhaps to the next life, perhaps to where your parents are, something like that. At this point, Dumbledore also tells Harry about the Hallows and about how all this time Harry's magical cloak is one of the Deathly Hallows, his invisibility cloak. He explains about the duel with Grindelwald and how they wanted to get all the Deathly Hallows for themselves. And that he's sad that he was not more trusting of Harry and didn't tell him from the beginning about his plans. Okay, I have one question about invisibility cloaks. Sure. So if only one of them was a Deathly Hallow, then... Did they take the original Deathly Hallow and then learn how to recreate it? Because there's more than Harry's in the world. I would assume... I don't remember any other ones in specific references. Mundungus had one. But I will say that there's probably other ways of making things invisible other than being cut off of Death's robes. (laughs) Also... Keep in mind that the story of the three brothers is never said to be a fact. It is, however, said that the Deathly Hallows are real, but their origin may not be exactly that true. story. It may just be that very, very powerful wizards crafted these items and then they sought to be a master of death. It also recontextualizes at this point where Dumbledore is explaining his previous mission with Grindelwald and how he regrets being so young and arrogant and seeking these, this power. It recontextualizes what a master of death actually is because in the true story of the, or the not true story, but in the original story of the three brothers, the brother that wins, the brother that's rewarded, is he trying to defeat death? 
No. So the ones that are trying to fool and hide and trick death, they meet terrible ends very early. The one that truly becomes a master of death is the one that accepts his own mortality and eventually allows his life to end. That's what makes him the master. I think that they're saying that's what Harry is. This whole, this whole last couple of chapters has been about Harry accepting his mortality, accepting that he will die, and then making choices based on that fact. In essence, saying that at this point, Harry does control or did control all three Deathly Hallows. We don't know that yet, but he's got the cloak. He had the resurrection stone. He is the master of the Elder Wand, which we haven't revealed yet. He was the true master of death. That gives a different definition to that. I think that what they want you to think is that means someone who can always escape death, someone who will live forever, right? Yeah. Turns out that's probably not the case. Here is where Dumbledore tells Harry you could stay or go back. Before going back, though, he takes one last look at this gross child crying baby thing. <laughs> um, what does... Dumbledore say, I know what he says in the movie. I can't remember if he says anything. I will say before that, he says, can you forgive me? Can you forgive me for not trusting you, not telling you, Harry? I only feared that you would fail as hard as I had failed. I only dreaded that you would make my mistakes. I crave your pardon, Harry. I have known for some time now that you were the better man. What do you think he's explaining there? That Harry is essentially better than Dumbledore? Well, specifically, he's saying, I sought the Hallows for power. Big mistake. I now realize you would not have done that. In fact, having possessed one of them all these years, you only really used it for mischief. <laughs> you, never <re> <laughs> you, know, you never tried to kill anybody because you had an invisibility cloak. You never your ambitions were not the same as mine. He also says uh, of his arrogance, even to, to his old age, when I discovered the resurrection stone, after all those years, I lost my head, Harry. I quite forgot that it was now a horcrux, that the ring was sure to carry a curse. I picked it up and put it on, and for a second, I imagined that I was about to see Ariana and my mother and my father and to tell them how very, very sorry I was. I was such a fool, Harry. He's saying that even just, you know, earlier that year or last year, he was wrapped up in the power that a Deathly Hallow might give him. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like the Dumbledore we know. Correct. And it, it explains that the Dumbledore that we know is the Dumbledore that we think we know. That... Until you know about his past and his ambitions as a child and the fact that he was headed down a very dark path when he was working with Grindelwald to find the Hallows, that, and that he was in support of wizard superiority over muggles, you don't know this guy at all. 
the thing that we see now is I think a very carefully measured controlled version of Dumbledore that he shows to the outside world. And he clearly is, he's, he's stating it outright that he hasn't shown his, shown his true nature to Harry. He hasn't trusted him with the truth. He may have been the greatest wizard of all time, but as he says, I was such a fool, Harry. He was a fool. He, he made many, many, many terrible mistakes and likely was ill at ease most of his life because of them. He says, this is also a line from the movie, but that was in the books. Tell me one last thing, said Harry. Is this real or has all of this been happening in my head? Dumbledore says, of course it's inside your head, Harry, but why should that mean it's not real? Exactly. So humans, uh, another quote from Dumbledore, the trouble is humans have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worst from them. That's something he told Harry in his first year. I imagine that is alluding to partly his search for, for power. In he, he picked the absolute wrong things for himself. He spent a good portion of his life chasing the wrong thing and is worse off because of it. The next chapter, the final chapter, chapter 36, A Flaw in the Plan. Harry opens his eyes. He's in the forest, but he's face down on the ground. He hears Voldemort, who has also been knocked to the ground, telling someone to go make sure that Harry's dead. Who comes to check on him? Draco's father. Not er, quite. Mother, mother. Yes, Narcissa. What is their exchange like? Narcissa whispers to Harry, is he alive? Draco, is he alive in the castle? And Harry, like, tiny nod. In the movie, he nods. In the book, he whispers that he is. Yes. This is an odd play for me because Narcissa now knows all she needs to know of Harry. doesn't matter if he's still alive. She could go... Yeah, he's not dead. Uh, somebody shoot him again. But it's almost as if she's saying, I'm paying for this information by giving you your life. That's weird to me. It works for the story, but it the motivation of Narcissa... I guess Narcissa doesn't actually want Harry dead. She's terrified of Voldemort. I'm wondering two things. What would have happened if he said no? And also... What would have happened if he said, I don't know? Good question. Also, would, she, would she have been like, yeah, he's not dead. Somebody else curse him. Also, what would have happened if he was dead? Then she would, like, wouldn't have the information. Yeah, I don't know. So her, her reaction here is basically the only thing that allows the rest of the book to, to take place. Um, in many ways, Harry owes his life and the eventual defeat of Voldemort to Narcissa's decision here, which is odd that Harry would be indebted to a Malfoy so greatly. She yells back, Harry Potter is dead. Voldemort tells Hagrid to do what? Take Harry and like pick him up. Carry him back to the castle and show yeah. everyone his body. Like, he's like, Harry Potter is dead. What is sort of 
poetic justice about Hagrid being the one to carry Harry back. He's the one that first took Harry away from the Dursleys. Not only that, he's the one that carried Harry to the Dursleys as an infant. Oh. He is the one that essentially carried Harry to Hogwarts. And he is now the one to carry Harry's seemingly dead body back to Hogwarts. That's kind of... Go ahead. That's kind of irony. Yeah, it's... Yes. Um, It's the wrong definition of irony that we use now. But yes. uh, When they get back to the castle... Voldemort, this is left out of the movie entirely, so it's hard for me to remember, but Voldemort is torturing Neville with the uh, hat, with the sorting hat. Do you remember this? I believe the hat is on fire, and he's like putting it on Neville's head. I don't remember that at all. Yeah, it is odd. Um, at this exact moment, and I don't remember this either, but this is in my notes. Centaurs surround the castle, start shooting arrows at the Death Eaters. Grop comes bursting out of the forest. With this distraction, what does Neville see in the sorting hat? Like a gleam of light, which he discovers is the sword. And so what does he do? He like rips it out of the hat, uh, taught... I'm guessing tosses the hat off his head and then like finds Nagini right near Voldemort who's like two feet away and then slices her head off. I think we should take a step back because these notes skip the entrance. Voldemort and his crew show up with Hagrid carrying Harry's lifeless body. Seemingly. One of the things that they mention is that McGonagall is the first to scream and Harry is startled because he couldn't even imagine that she could make such a sound. <laughs> Considering she's a like 80-year-old woman, she's like... <laughs> His friends also scream. Especially Ginny. She's like, no, no! Then Harry does his kind of roll out of Hagrid's arms thing. The centaurs show up. Giants show up. Uh, Neville kills the snake. Everything bursts back into action. Um, it's like Battle Hogwarts 2, the continuation or something. We we have a few very big matchups here. Uh, one between uh, Bellatrix and who? Mrs. Weasley. Now, Bellatrix takes a swipe at Ginny with her wand, shoots a curse at her. This incenses Mrs. Weasley, her motherly instinct takes over. And what does she do to Bellatrix? Uh, she screams a not so nice, uh, a not so nice word. And then like, I'm guessing like turns her to stone and then like smashes her to like pieces of paper almost in the movie, in the book, she just shoots her a killing curse and murders her. Um, It mentions in the book, Bellatrix laughed the same exhilarated laugh her cousin Sirius had given as he toppled backwards through the veil, and suddenly Harry knew what was going to happen before it did. Harry is under his invisibility cloak at this point as he runs into the castle, 
pulls it off and everyone starts screaming, Harry's alive, he's alive. Uh, the book says the crowd was afraid and silence fell abruptly and completely as Voldemort and Harry looked at each other and began at the same moment to circle each other. I don't want anyone else to try to help, Harry said loudly. And in the total silence, his voice, his voice carried like a trumpet call. It's got to be like this. It's got to be me. The final battle takes place in the Great Hall, whereas in the movie, it's out in the courtyard. Harry is... Remember, what else is in the Great Hall? All the dead bodies. Right, exactly. So this is a fitting but also odd place for their final showdown. Harry actually taunts Voldemort at this point, saying, You didn't learn from your mistakes, Riddle, did you? You dare. Yes, I dare, said Harry. I know things that you don't, Tom Riddle. I know lots of important things that you don't. Want to hear some of them before you make another big mistake? What do you think he's teasing him with at this point? His actual name. Not just that, but what facts? Obviously, he's not going to tell him, but what does Harry know that Dumbledore doesn't know, that Voldemort doesn't know? That Harry is a horcrux? That, well, not just that, but that there are no more horcruxes. Oh. Ex- oh, yeah, because Nagini's dead. Voldemort likely felt weakened by some of his Horcruxes being destroyed. Likely does not know that, that every single all one of them, them are gone. gone. Likely never knew and never will know that Harry was one of them. I'm kind of surprised that he didn't hide them like all across the world and like not in this like like not just London or whatever. There's a reason for that though, and that's his. Vanity. He hid them in places that were important to him, places where he felt he had done important things. And they were obviously all in the UK. So, Right. But what I'm saying, now think about this. That doesn't actually matter because the world is very small to a wizard. You can apparate to South Africa just as easily as you can apparate to a place 10 miles away. So the distance between them didn't matter. It was how how well they were hidden and how heavily they were protected. All of which he thought was flawless. Turns out, not so much. Voldemort shrieks and screams one more, Havada Kedavra! What counter curse does Harry use? It's his go-to move. Or it's one of his go-to moves. Expelliarmus? Yeah. So, as the most powerful dark wizard in the world shoots a killing curse at Harry, Harry says, ah, take your wand away. As if we haven't seen this 20 times. <laughs> but it's, it's important, though, that very few people other than Harry would probably think to do this. It also works particularly well because... He's using the Elder Wand, and who is the actual master of the Elder Wand? Harry. Harry. We still don't know that yet, but... But it's true. The Elder Wand is happy to oblige, leaving Voldemort because its true master told it to. The wand flies through the air. In the movie, they do this connecting, you know, streams of energy thing that goes on for 10 minutes. That doesn't happen in the book. And it's just like, dang, we haven't seen this like 10 times before this. I don't don't care. It looks awesome. But anyway... (laughs) 
the, the Elder One flies through the air. I believe Harry catches it. He, uh, it says, Harry saw Voldemort's green jet meet his own spell, saw the Elder One fly high, dark against the sunrise, spinning across the enchanted ceiling like the head of Nagini, spinning through the air towards the master it would not kill, who had come to take full possession of it at last. Again saying, it's not that Voldemort could not kill Harry, it's the wand refused to. It's like, no, I ain't casting this curse. What happens to Voldemort at this point? He dies. But why? Because... Because the Elder Wand refused to kill Harry. The curse rebounded on Voldemort. He killed himself. I'm just like, because reasons? (laughs) And he's got the final piece of his soul inside him. So killing himself kills... All of Voldemort. It's all gone. I'm surprised that they don't use Protego more than in like one book. Um, I you know, I think a lot of the defensive spells are somewhat interchangeable. An interesting thing to point out here, as the various battles of Hogwarts come to a close, other than the staff, there are no adults at Hogwarts other than the few parents that have shown up really. it's probably just the Weasleys, right? Yeah. So who are doing the bulk of the fighting against these hordes of death eaters? The kids. Why are many of the kids able to fight so well? Because they have good teachers. Mm. Who's the only real defense against the dark arts teacher they've ever had. Lupin. Other than Lupin. It's Harry. Oh. The DA is basically the only reason all of these children aren't dead. I keep forgetting about the DA like all the time. (laughs) Another interesting thing to think about is the reason the DA was necessary and the reason... Lupin wasn't able to stay on and be their teacher is that Voldemort cursed the position when he wasn't given the job. Who knows how educated and powerful in defense against the dark arts Hogwarts students would be if they could have a a good teacher for more than one year. Yeah. But again, it's Harry's tutelage is basically the only reason that 20, 25 or so of these kids are good fighters. And likely the only reason that all of the students are not dead. But to think it's like, it's like one, it's like one good educated student who learned from Harry against like 25 Death Eaters. Because there's about like over 200 Death Eaters there. There's not that many in the castle. There's many that are waiting to get in across the bridge. Oh. And then, you know, Seamus blows that bridge. If that only happens in the movie, I apologize. I'm, I don't remember if it happens in the book or not. At this point, though, you know, the sun breaks, the clouds part, light shines on Hogwarts, everyone's happy. Lots of... uh 
lots of joy for the first time in a very long time. After it's all over, though, Harry doesn't really want to be in the middle of throngs of people telling him how great he is. He sneaks out with Ron and Hermione and fills them in. In filling them in, fills us in. This is where he explains the true nature of the Elder Wand, which is what? What do you mean? Why is the Elder Wand giving its allegiance to Harry? Oh, right. Because since, okay, we got to start like a long way back. You got to go all the way back to the lightning struck tower. Exactly. Since, since Snape and Dumbledore planned Dumbledore's death, that doesn't mean that it was Snape's ever in the first place. But when Draco disarmed Dumbledore, the wand became his. But then when Harry disarmed Draco, then the wand became Harry's. Right. So even though Snape killed Dumbledore, the wand was never never had any reason to have an allegiance to Snape. Because it was planned and they weren't having like a full-on battle or anything. Well, not just that, but he had already been disarmed by Draco. That happened first. Exactly. So it doesn't have anything to do with the planned battle aspect. I like, thought it did. It, well, if it does, it's more so that the one's allegiance changed when, when Dumbledore was disarmed. Harry disarms Draco, and not only that, but fights with Draco's wand. So now he's got the allegiance of Draco's two, both of Draco's wands, his original one and the elder wand. But that just proves that you don't have to kill somebody to get to get the elder wand. But why do they always kill the person that has the elder wand? Because they're always in a battle. They would want it back. Yes, they to ensure this is now the most powerful one in the world is mine. I must kill its previous owner. But what are you also ensuring by taking possession of the Elder Wand? That it doesn't work for anybody else? No, that someone's going to come kill you. Oh. It's a curse, basically. It's not cursed, but it is a curse. By possessing the most powerful one in the world, there's always going to be someone coming after you. And therefore, that is why Harry snaps it in two and throws it off the bridge. Except he doesn't. That's only in the movie. Oh. In the book, he basically gives it back to Dumbledore. He he puts it in Dumbledore's office somewhere. Um, I don't remember specifically just that it says he puts it back. And his final line... Uh, let's see. After it's over, Harry goes to... Dumbledore's office to talk with the headmaster's portrait. This is one scene that many people were mad was this and Dumbledore's funeral were left out of the movies. And then a lot of people were upset about that. Uh, Harry decides to put back the elder wand and he says, it's more trouble than it's worth. And honestly, I've had enough trouble for a lifetime. Just true. He agrees. Uh, Dumbledore agrees with him, but before he puts it back, he uses it to repair his wand. That's the other thing missing from the movies. That Where is his wand? He's always had the pieces. Oh. He didn't want to... He couldn't bear to just throw it away. I could realize. I Be- didn't realize that. Because it meant so much to him. I would assume he just kind of hides the Elder Wand in 
somewhere in Dumbledore's office or places it on the portrait, something. So now he owns three wands, one of which is in Dumbledore's office? Yeah, I guess he's still the master of the Elder Wand for... Like all eternity, I guess. Until someone somehow gets it from him, I guess, yeah. that That's another story they could tell eventually, I guess. Uh, yeah, what does he do with Draco's wand? I don't know, throws it in a drawer. Maybe gives it back to him, I have no idea. My guess is that like later he finds Draco and lets him disarm Harry with Draco's wand in his hand or something. Mm, I guess, you know, we'll we'll probably never know. That's a a question that's not really important and is also never answered, so. So, uh, they also mention when Harry's having this conversation with Dumbledore's portrait, in the largest portrait directly behind the headmaster's chair, tears were sliding down from behind the half-moon spectacles into the long silver beard, and the pride and the gratitude emanating from him filled Harry with the same balm as Phoenix Song. That wand's more trouble than it's worth, said Harry, and quite honestly, he turned away from the painted portraits, thinking of now only of the four-poster bed lying waiting for him in Gryffindor Tower and wondering whether Creature might bring him a sandwich there. (laughs) I've had enough trouble for a lifetime. That brings us to the epilogue, 19 years later. You probably have a pretty good memory of this what happens in this epilogue yes i i love this part it's like my favorite part almost okay so what happens so so it's 19 years in the future obviously and it's time for harry and Ginny's kids because they did to get married and have kids so it's time for them to go to hogwarts so they're at king's cross going through the wall to platform nine and three quarters. Now, whose first year is it? Because some kids have already gone. Oh, yeah. I think James has already gone for a year. Lily isn't going yet. James Sirius, right? Huh? I believe his name is James Sirius Potter. Oh. Is it? I didn't realize that. Look it up while you keep talking. <laughs> he's the oldest. Yes, he's the eldest by about a year, and Lily is the youngest by about a year, I think. So then, and I want to say Lily's middle name might be Luna. But then, Albus Severus Potter. Yeah, is James Sirius Potter, and then Albus Severus Lily, Potter, Lily Luna Potter, and she's too young to go. She's like five or six. Oh, really? Right. I thought she was like nine. It doesn't matter. She's still too young to go. Yeah. Okay, and then it's Albus Severus's first year. What is he? so worried about he's worried that he's gonna get put in slytherin what does harry tell him about two things about his name and then about what house he'll be in so uh albus is worried about getting put in slytherin and then harry and then harry says albus severus potter you were named after two headmasters of hogwarts one of which was a Slytherin, and he was the bravest man I've ever known. What does that mean to Harry now? Why Why is Severus Snape the bravest man he's ever known? Because he took on the Dark Lord, I guess. He put himself in more direct danger 
than like anybody than, else. Than maybe anyone else in the story. By continuing to be a double agent for Voldemort, he was always, always, always in terrible danger. And and per- persevered in spite of that because of his love for Lily. So yeah, he's quite brave. And then if not misguided. And then Albus says, I'm just saying that if I am, Harry cuts him off and says, then Slytherin House will have gained a brilliant young wizard. And I think I think that's it because they meet up with Harry, Ron, and Neville, who what, has become a professor. What does he tell him about choice, though? He says, but if it really means that much to you, you can choose Gryffindor. The Sorting Hat takes your choice into account. He says, at least it did for me. The important thing about that last part is where was the Sorting Hat leaning towards putting Harry? Slytherin. Because he was cunning and... Sneaky. Yeah. And so it's it's mirroring now 26 years after Harry went through the sorting hat. It's saying, you're a lot like me, kid. You're, you're the same qualities I do, good and bad. So you might go through the same thing where the hat can't figure out where to put you. But, and I don't know this is a fact... But it did let me choose. It'll probably let you choose too. And then they meet up with Harry and Ron, who have two kids, and then Neville, who has become a Hermione professor. and Ron, who have two kids. Oh yeah, that's what I went. That's what I meant. Who else do they see on the platform? Draco and his wife, and their son. And their son's name is what. I know I've read The Cursed Child already, but I've completely forgotten their son's name. I kind of have too. Let's see. Draco's <laughs> son. I think I... Scorpius. I was going to say, I wanted this to say... This kid's name is Scorpius Hyperion <laughs> Malfoy. Hyperion? As if you could come with a more uh, evil <laughs> name. A more... This guy's a super villain waiting to happen. <laughs> Okay, I was going to say, I feel like it starts with an S, but I'm like, Scorpius? Yeah, Scorpius. Scorpius Imperius? Hyperion. Hi- Hyperion. Scorpius Hyperion Malfoy. Oh my Anywho. God. His name must have like 40 letters. Um, Showing that only to, I think this is only to say that Draco landed on his feet. He probably hasn't changed a whole lot, but he's alive and well. And has children that are going to Hogwarts. I think or it's also. I think it's also meant. I, I don't know if they spell this out explicitly, but that Slytherin House is far less evil now. It's more even keeled. It it prizes the same qualities, but it's not producing dark wizards left and right. It's like it's it's not every evil wiz, every evil wizard that has ever. Uh, that has ever existed has come from Slytherin. That's not a thing anymore. Also, one of the things they change in the movies is sending all the Slytherins to the jun- the dungeon before the battle when yeah. many Slytherins actually stood and fought with Harry. This is, you know, sort of the happily ever after ending, 
I think, for Harry, but for different reasons. Why, why is this epilogue a portrait of Harry's sort of perfect ending? What does he have now? He has a family and also a normal life. The only things he's ever wanted, right? A family and a normal life. Yeah, because until he went to Hogwarts, he just wished he had a family that loved him. After Hogwarts, he still wanted that, but he really wished he wasn't quite so important. And he still is, but not smut, but not so much. Even though he has become an Auror and he is still fighting dark wizards, it is likely that he is not in mortal danger every second of every day. He also doesn't have a piece of the darkest wizard ever to live inside his brain. (laughs) Um, So it's safe to say that things have calmed down for him. Ron and Hermione are married. They have children. Um, Hugo and Rose. Oh, I've forgotten their names. And... Not only does he have his wife and his children, but his family is much larger. He has the Weasleys. He has their children. He has Teddy Tonks as a godchild. And also, like almost like really distantly, since he's married to Ginny, he is he is related to Ron and then... By further extension, he is also related to Hermione. No, that's not how that works. Mm. When you do when you do in-laws, you stop at blood. So Ron would be his brother-in-law. But Ginny would not but Hermione would not be his sister-in-law. Wouldn't it be like his wife-in-law? You just you don't say anything. It just doesn't there's no way to say that. Mm. But it's safe to say the Weasleys have always been his family. And so now it's more official, but you know, um, we know that Harry is an or we know that Ron is eventually becomes an or he, oh, he, he does. He works at, this is not in the book. This is from writings that Rowling has done uh, afterwards. He works at the joke shop for a while and sort of meanders from job to job. And then Harry gets him to join the or agency and sort of kind of kicks his butt and says, Hey, get a life. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hermione is the head of magical law enforcement, I believe. Yeah, she works with the ministry. I know that. And she's fought tirelessly for the rights of magical non-human creatures. Um, Ginny was a professional Quidditch player for the Hollyhead Harpies. And now I believe she is a sports journalist for the Prophet. Yeah, because I remember that on Potter War... When it was like regular and not just reading now. And. And Neville is a professor. Herbology? Yes. I want to say. Since he's so good at plants, yes, he became herbology professor. I don't remember what Luna does. Yeah, I was about to say. Or who she married. I was about to say. She got married? It, It tells who eventually everybody ends up with. Oh. Um, you could probably look it up. I could. I don't care. Honestly. <laughs> uh, what else? What else? What else? Who's left? That might be it. But yeah, the idea is it's not this big, grand, magical ending. It's that Harry gets to have a life now with 
in a place he understands with people that actually care about him, a place that he can be comfortable. And that's the, that's the prize for everything he's been through for everything that has threatened him for, you know, a decade or really since his birth, that that's the final prize is that he gets to calm down. He guest lectures at Hogwarts. I know that he teaches, uh, guest lectures of defense against the dark arts. I would also imagine when he is recognized, he's probably still the most famous wizard in the world. Yep. I mean, you would imagine all the textbooks are being rewritten, you know, by this point where they're all about Harry Potter and Voldemort, all the history textbooks, all the defense textbooks. I mean, everything would, would be, telling these legends it's like in the in the defense against the dark arts my guess is it would be like use this spell in this situation because for example harry and voldemort did this and harry used this right or harry made great use of the uh you know expelliarmus charm when other people would go for more uh, big offensive he went defensive when other people would go more offensive and it saved him a lot of times or maybe they teach patronuses to much younger children now than seems like they never would have taught it in school at all so they didn't like most adults don't know how to do it they do now though i feel like it's more of a yeah it's you know, more of a normal thing i'm sure there's museums erected you know about about his endeavors they've probably got the the remaining destroyed horcruxes sitting in glass cases somewhere and i'm sure they've got you know, probably a wing of Hogwarts dedicated to Harry. I mean, there's just, there's no part of the wizarding world that his story doesn't touch, right? It's it's like, it's like there's a new house in Hogwarts called Harryville. Pot, Potter House? <laughs> or yeah, something like that. Yeah, and that's, that's basically it. That is, uh, that wraps it all up, right? This is Harry's perfect life. Well, it's also the end of our last podcast. Regular podcast. (laughs) Yes. Considering it took us four plus months to do the final episode, (laughs) I'm not making any promises for when we might release special episodes about Cursed Child, which I still haven't read. Probably when I'm like 14. (laughs) And uh, Wizarding World. You can read it in like two hours. Yeah, but I'm, you know, I will eventually. I'm (laughs) uh, I'm not in a huge hurry. Maybe I want that one last piece of Harry Potter to be... Still waiting for me. No, it's great. <laughs> Read it. Read it, please. Well, that's that. You know, I feel like in that last episode we did before this one, I kind of said everything I wanted to say about this experience and how much fun and how rewarding it has been to do this with you and to share it with people. As of today, there are still people listening to this podcast. So I do appreciate everybody out there that is sharing this with their kids. I'm very happy that we have finished the series. It's now a complete thing that people can enjoy for possibly years to come. Maybe you'll listen to it when you're older and go, wow. I still listen to it. And go, wow, my voice used to be high. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks a lot. I'm saying because you're young. You know, when you're you're older, your voice is deeper and you'll sound different. You'll think, wow, that's me. Well, Well, the thing is, like, I know this is like completely off topic, but. Is it about Minecraft? No, okay. <laughs> but my voice to everybody else sounds really high, and my voice to me sounds like 
for a child your age, you do not have a particularly high voice. And that is not what I was commenting on. I was saying that when you are older, you will sound very different than you do now. And so this will be a nice, you know, uh, 60-ish hour (laughs) uh, memory of what you used to sound like and the types of things you used to say. But it's been a blast. I've really enjoyed doing this with you. And I think we made something pretty cool to share with other people. I want to say thank you to Lily. Thank you to everybody that's listening. Thank you to the band Harry and the Potters for letting us use their song. This book is so awesome as our theme song. And for the last time in a regular episode, I'll say for Potter and Daughter, this is Joel Watson. And I'm Lily Watson. What do you think? Good episode? Great episode. This book is so awesome.